welcome to Business Talk Sister Gawk. I'm Becca. And I'm Ruthie. And today we are starting a three-part series on the topic of failure. Today, we're specifically going to be digging into some data research and insecurities behind people starting businesses or why people don't start them. Um, And I think data is super important to me personally. It's near and dear to my heart uh, because if I know what statistically is practical, uh, it allows me the confidence to move forward um, Mm -hmm. or just to completely change course in what I set about doing. So some of the information that we've been researching for this topic, um, I've also looked into a little bit already in the past. And so Ruthie's going to share a little bit of what she's been finding and we're going to talk and she's going to give us some ideas for how to understand researching statistics as well within that. Yeah. So um, basically what I was finding was that there is across the board, people vary a lot in the statistics statistics that they're producing um, and that they're reporting. So what's really important when you're looking at those statistics and those studies that people have done on small businesses is to look at the sample size that they have. Um, because if somebody only polls like 20 people or 10 people or something, and then they, they say, oh, well, like 90% of people did not have successful businesses, but they maybe interviewed people that they know or whatever, or something like that, where they, the sample size is not necessarily indicative of the whole nation or the whole what what that would mean for your industry. So it's really important to break it down by industry as well as having a large sample size when you look at those statistics. Um, it's really hard to be able to pull those numbers accurately if there is a large bias in the question that the researcher is asking, if it's really opinions based. Um, So keep that in mind when you're looking at different statistics. But one of the articles that I found that I thought was really interesting and had a lot of really sobering statistics, but at the same time also very hopeful, um, is from fortunely.com. And um, the first line item that they had here was that only 78.5% of small businesses survived that first year. Um, And then they go on to talk about how 21.5% of the small businesses um, don't make it past the first year, basically. So that 78% do make it past. Um, and when you think about that, it is actually very encouraging because when you think about the people who, the reasons that those small businesses didn't succeed, um, there's a lot of different reasons why small businesses might not succeed. Or, um, But one thing is that they lose focus a lot of times and they're not investing in in themselves or in the company. And so be encouraged that you listening to this podcast is showing that you care about your business, is that you're working on your business and trying to find ways to improve it. Um, which a lot of the, statistically, a lot of the small businesses that, that end are not doing that. They're not finding ways that they can be become more financially efficient or um, cut back on cost or find ways that they can do things cheaply or free, you know, um, and just really investing in themselves that way. Uh, and another thing that I think is really encouraging that, that was also from this article is that the that's the small business failure rate has declined by 30% since 1977. So basically what, what we're seeing is this kind of trend towards, I mean, yeah, things are kind of crazy right now with COVID and all of that. And there's a lot of people who are really struggling, but just on the whole, we've seen so many more small businesses come out of um, difficult situations, you know, or just the long, in the long haul, we've seen a lot of businesses succeed. And I was listening to um, 
uh, just a video that Dave Ramsey put out recently, and he was talking about how um, when <laughs> refrigerators were invented, the ice industry freaked out and so many people backed out of the ice industry and um they're like bringing ice you know like and having ice boxes and delivering ice to people and so basically what a, this major ice producer did is he uh got into like picnic ice and things like that and like and and just talked about the statistics of of um what you can uh, statistics of just staying on top of the ball and 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 going through that and and fighting through it and and finding ways to pivot in your business and what can we be doing to capitalize on this current situation yeah i think the word pivot is something that not a lot of people think about when i when i think about the word pivot i think of basketball when you can only have like one foot on the ground or you're double dribbling but anyways <laughs> besides the point right but like the aspect of you're going one way and then you completely shift gears to go another way um there's tons of stories out there of people who pivot their companies to do something completely different i mean just today i was looking through and one of them was a case study about paypal and how the guy started it to basically he wanted to start a palm pilot company and he was like so into that and people just kept sending him emails could you make like an integration to make payment through ebay faster or easier and he ignored it for like six months before he actually did something about it and then just dropped the whole palm pilot thing in general which good move on his part we don't even half of you probably don't even know what a palm pilot is like i don't know what a palm pilot is yeah so exactly but like thinking about that like those things where you start a business you think this is what you want to do with your life and then all of a sudden you realize it's not okay but there's a need here i'm going to change what i'm doing to meet that need and just because you started one way and you turned and you're going another way yeah you might have failed at like seeing that was a bad idea to begin with but it doesn't mean that you can't make something out of it or use what you learned right um yeah so some of the data with what ruthie was talking about knowing like the sample size and all of that um just so important when if you're doing there's a big difference between primary data and secondary data um primary data is when you go out and collect it yourself uh, or if you're reading a research report from someone that they went out and surveyed a whole bunch of people if you've ever read one of those really complex um, like research reports from like doctors or something, they'll say, here was the amount of people we did this test on. And then they have like a hypothesis and they figure out all these different things about, and then here's what we're going to see if we can prove this true. Now, the whole aspect that Ruthie was talking about is, are your questions biased in what you're asking? That's super important. One time I got a survey in the mail that asked me, if I would rather fire the janitor of the school or lower my property taxes. I was like, you made this so personal to me. Like basically you're saying, do you want more property taxes or less property taxes? But you didn't want to ask me that. You made it so emotional that you said, would you like to fire the janitor? <laughs> like it was, and it was a professional company that got hired to send out these surveys. And obviously everyone within our town is going to be like, oh, don't fire the janitor. Like, duh. <laughs> and, and then they'll take that data and say, oh, well, 99% of the entire town says they want their taxes raised. 
because they don't want to fire the janitor. Like, <laughs> but they're not going to tell you that when they put that information out there, right? So that, but that collection of data, but you created the survey or you went and polled people and asked them, that's primary data. Secondary data is when you reference other people. So the Fortune Lee article that Ruthie talked about pulls in into one article a whole bunch of data about small business, but pull, pulling it from other people that actually did primary data. So they just basically cited a whole bunch as secondary data to prove their point about small businesses. So thinking about that is very important when we're thinking about insecurities. And, and the reason for that is, um, I don't know how many times I have talked to somebody and about sales and they're like, oh, I hate sales because um, it's really hard to talk to people and they turn me down or I feel bad asking and all this stuff, especially within sales because you're like, you know that you're trying to make money somehow, right? But when you look at some statistics of sales and people who actually do sales full-time, like that's their primary job, it's like you have to take an average of eight or six, was it five, Ruthie? I think it's five. I'm, I'm spouting all these numbers. Five <laughs> points of contact before someone will even agree to like set up a meeting with you mm-hmm. in certain industries, right? And with what Ruthie was talking about a little bit, digging into knowing what industry data is important is so valuable because even in terms of like a restaurant, there's certain data on the restaurant industry that's completely unique to that industry um, comparatively to a different industry like the tech industry. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of the places like even in general, when you look at which businesses fail the most, uh, one, one of the areas was actually tech. And I think part of it is because it's really easy to start with tech if you're a tech person, right? You can build something super quickly and with a whole lot, a whole lot of cost if you're building it yourself, but there might already be like four or five other products that come to market at the exact same time. And that's why your business doesn't do so hot, or maybe you just didn't market it well to compete with those businesses. So I could see why the rate is higher in that industry because there's less barrier to entry to get up and started to begin with. Um, so keeping those things in mind, know what the data is for the type of business that you want to start because you might think, oh, well, so many businesses fail. Well, guess what? If you make it a year, hot dog, you made it almost over 20% of the people who ever started, right? Like that's a big celebration of itself. I remember a year after I started my business, I had a celebration because I was like, I made it past the first 20. It's like running a a marathon Mm -hmm. and passing all those people. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. We had a a couple other things that we wanted to talk about within um, some data that we found from a website called Failery, which is actually a podcast. BT Dubs, they just started in April. They have like quite a few interviews and their first episode was probably just as awkward as our first episode. (laughs) So I'm really thankful for a lot of you that stuck with us because let me tell you, like starting a podcast has some really big insecurities in that, right? So um, within that, they have this web, web page with an infographic about startup failure rates. And they're just so full disclosure, they said that their um, sample size was 100 businesses over a 15 year time period. Okay, so when we're looking at their data, what they pulled together, 
the common characteristics of startups that failed, and this can be across the board for like pretty much anybody who has a startup, right? Not just industry specific. The first one was, no surprise, incompetence. <laughs> so I think, Ruthie, do you want to like expand upon what do you think that would look like in some aspects? Yeah, basically incompetence is exactly what it sounds. You just don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you don't know um, the terms of the industry, like they said on the, on the, um, in the article, and they have little experience with team and personal problems. So one thing that I think is really valuable um, is just kind of, if you're, one, if you're working by yourself, know your strengths and your weaknesses. We talked about this in episodes before, like know what you're good at and know what you're bad at. It's okay to know what you're bad at and, and, and ask people to help you or hire subcontractors for things that you're bad at. Um, but also know, um, if you, ha if you're working with a team of people, <laughs> know how to work with those people, you know, know their strengths and weaknesses, know how you can work well as a team. Cause there's so, it's so common to have interpersonal conflict like that. Um, so right now <laughs> my little brother and his friends are making a lawn mowing business and that has been just <laughs> a huge learning curve for everyone. I think like I, I, I can honestly say that I have never dealt with so many emotions in one day. Um, <laughs> you know, one moment you're freaking out, you just got paid 20 bucks. The next moment there's a conflict, then somebody's crying. And then it's just like, and these are little boys, you know? So it's, um, but it's been interesting to kind of seeing that on a small scale of how their interpersonal communication styles have kind of come to a head in a lot of ways. Um, and, and a piece of that is, is just not, I mean, they're young. They don't know that if you don't work, you don't get paid. Or if you are, if you're gone for a weekend and two of your other friends take a job, you don't get paid for that. <laughs> it's not a salary position. You actually have to work to get paid. Um, so that is, you know, just little hiccups that you work through when you're, when you're starting out things. And I think that, that can be more um, on a larger scale too, when you're, when you're expanding or when you're, um, especially when you're expanding, I think like when you have that initial success and you're like, yeah, let's, let's keep doing this. And then you think, oh, I can just keep doing the same thing over and over again that we've done really well. And then you have to kind of think, okay, well, what are ways that we can expand our business? And, and if you're not willing to do that, um, that can really, that can cause issues, but that's, that, that's where that competence comes in. It's just, okay, this worked, but now let's find other ways ways that work or what works with our with our organization specifically mm -hmm. uh and i'm just gonna tell you this will probably like be both our gawk as well as our episode at the same time <laughs> because i was we were just about to do our recording when when they were having like basically their little like payday of what we invest in the business and what we get paid whatever and ruthie is trying to walk them through it and i wanted to press record so badly to play it part of this episode but i wasn't the host of the meeting so i couldn't but oh, oh my goodness it was literally like uh, he was just getting upset about, well, I'm so mad. We worked for two whole days on this project and we only got paid this much. And Ruthie's like, that's because when people say, how much do you charge? You say anywhere from $5 to $40. <laughs> if you say $5, people are just going to pay you $5. <laughs> yeah, he's been having to work through like, cause he was trying to figure out how in two days they made like, like. I think it was $90. They worked two or three days and made 
$90. And then yesterday they worked for one day, did two yards and got paid $80. And he was like, how did that happen? <laughs> it's like, well, because <laughs> the other people were paying you 10 bucks. The other, the other two yards you got, you were paying 40 bucks a yard. <laughs> so I'm just saying like, here we go. <laughs> know what yeah. you're worth. You know, that, there you go. Incompetent. Know what you're worth. Know what you should be charging. Um, and what that should look like for your business. And the other thing too, that he's learning is just how long those things will take him and stuff, you know, learning curve for everything. Mm -hmm. I also think within that, another thing that's important to understand is the emotional aspect of pricing. If you ask like your family members, do you think this is worth this much? Um, first of all, your family can either be really nice to you and lie to your face or they can be like really mean to you and say, there's no way I would pay someone to do that. Well, and, and I know I don't necessarily mean actual mean, but like maybe it's because they also have the same giftings as you do. And there's no way they would pay you to mow their lawn because they can mow it themselves. Whereas like other people, that's not something they really enjoy and they'd be willing to pay for it. Um, mm -hmm. So the data of knowing who to ask and pull about your product and see who would be interested in paying for something or what it would be. Um, Ruthie even did like a poll a long time ago when she was thinking about starting a different kind of business. She put a poll together on Facebook and was like, if you, I were to start a business like this, what would you be willing to pay for and how much you, would you be willing to pay for it? And then she put like different categories of what kind of services would be involved and then people just weighed in on, well, I would definitely be interested in this or she left like an open space for people to like add comments of things they would be willing to pay for if it wasn't even on her services list. Yeah. And that was really valuable for me to learn, um, okay, here's something that people might not be willing to pay for, but here's a lot of things that, that I hadn't even thought of that they are willing to pay for. So that market research on your own, on your own part um, is really helpful. Yeah. So um, what we're going to do, we're going to get a little bit personal um, with the sister gawk of a portion of this. And it's, it's silly. It's, it's frustrating, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's process, you know? So I think like, we're going to talk a little bit about what it has been like to start this podcast um, and all the insecurities that have gone into that and all the having to push through that and, and learn about ourselves and learn about um, what works for us and what kind of business model we want to have and the meetings we need to have and, and things like that. So um, I'm just going to start and, and basically lay out, well, yeah, my thoughts on that. For me, when we started out, I was not as gung-ho as Becca, <laughs> which is, is pretty consistent with a lot of things. Like um, Becca gets really excited about things and it takes me a lot longer to process them, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. And basically the first couple episodes, I just had this overwhelming insecurity the whole time of like, why, why would anybody want to listen to me? <laughs> like, this is, I don't know. And, and, and that played a lot into my insecurities in my own business and starting out in financial coaching and, and having to really, um, develop myself and, and my skills and, and how I approach what I do. Um, and that also played into our podcast and it just even making, I remember the first time I made a, a Facebook video and I posted it on my personal Facebook, just promoting what I was doing as a business, as well as um, what we were doing with this podcast. And I recorded it like 10 times, like, and I had sticky notes all over my door, like trying to like get me 
get myself geared up to map out what I was going to say. And then I was just emotionally distraught. <laughs> like, it just sounds bad. I just, I don't know what I'm doing. And um, it was that constant sense of, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. But then finally, like, my phone was about to die. It was at 5%. My screen went dark. You know how like the power saving mode comes on? My screen went dark and I was like, I just have to do this. I just needed to talk about, talk like I'm talking to my friend and just do this. And so then I just started it and said what I needed to say and then I stopped it. And right after that, my battery died. And so I didn't have time to go through and critique myself over and over again. Um, and yeah, basically just <laughs> went with it. like, set it and forget it. <laughs> And that I think has been one of the most difficult parts about having a podcast is that you have to listen to yourself over and over again when editing, when writing subtitles and, um, and just really having to look at what you're doing as valuable. And I think that really comes back to business again and again, is just reminding yourself what I do is valuable and what I do is, is purposeful and I'm working really hard at it and I'm continuing and persevering. Um, yeah, so that has been my experience with the insecurity side of, of business. I'm just dying because I'm like, <laughs> caveat, like maybe what you're doing isn't valuable because no one's willing <laughs> to pay for it and you didn't do enough research. But what we're talking about is the learning experience of it is the valuable part. So. Yeah. Just remember that because if you come back to me and you're like, well, I couldn't get these foot popsicles to sell. <laughs> no one wants to lick a foot. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. So anyways. All right. Thanks. Oh, you know what? Support for our podcast comes from our intern Darby. She didn't tell me to say that part. She's been researching podcasts and told us that we need to have a strong call to action at the end of our podcast. So here it is. Please tell your friends about our podcast and what you enjoy about it. Join us again next week where we talk about part two of failure, how it's different for entrepreneurs.